The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And we are back again on the Writer Files. Thanks for joining us. I'm still your host, Kelton Reed, to take you on another tour of the habits, habits, hats, and brains of renowned writers. And in part two of this file, the former Slate staffer, ultimate data word nerd, and acclaimed author of Nabokov's favorite word is Move. Ben Blatt dropped back by to talk about crunching the numbers of classic and modern literature, debunking famous writerly wisdom, and how prolific writers establish their literary fingerprints. Ben's a journalist, statistician, and author who takes a fun approach to data journalism on pop culture topics as varied as Seinfeld, the Beatles, and baseball. The author studied applied mathematics at Harvard and has been published in the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe, Deadspin, and many others. His most recent book, Nabokov's Favorite Word is Move, What the Numbers Reveal About the Classics, Bestsellers, and Our Own Writing, brings big data to the literary canon, exploring the wealth of fun findings that remain hidden in the works of the world's greatest writers. NPR called the book a hell of a lot of fun. Wall Street Journal Enlightening and the Boston Globe called it brilliant. In part two of this file, Ben and I discuss how to trick yourself out of writer's block, a data journalist's book writing hacks, including one to add tables and graphs, why brevity and simplicity will always stand the test of time, how a great writer sticks out in their own unique way, and great tips to creating a long and rewarding writing career. Thanks again. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Let's ask the million dollar question. How do you feel about writer's block? Is it a thing? Is it a, is it real? Um, It's, you know, there are definitely times where I, I, you know, need to take a walk or, you know, move up my meal schedule or just kind of get a little bit of fresh air. Um, But kind of my strategy as a writer um, is to not 
to kind of convince yourself that writer's block does not exist. Um, and if you have that mindset, then, you know, you won't kind of get agitated if it's been five or 10 minutes and you can't focus or whatever, and you'll, you'll find a way to power through it. Um, and I definitely find, you know, luckily, you know, when I was working on this book, um, I was able to do it full time. So it kind of was my life and it was my work. So, um, I didn't have other, you know, major work distractions. And I kind of found that even if there was a day that, you know, maybe I didn't feel as productive, it was best just to spend a few hours, even if there was nothing, um, even if what I got on the page or got in terms of research was less than other days, it was best to kind of keep going along. And a lot of times kind of in this state where you're kind of maybe just kind of thinking in circles and not getting anything good, something will come out of it. So mm. kind of as a strategy, uh, I kind of convinced myself that, uh, you know, not, not to, not to fall prey to convincing yourself you're a writer's block when really you're just a bit tired or a bit, uh, distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sounds like you, you subscribe to the Seinfeld method of, um, just, you know, making sure you check the box off every day. Definitely. I think, um, you know, when I, as I said, when I was doing this, I was my only work. And because of that, there was really no reason that I would work, you know, nine to five, five days a week with two days off. So, and there were definitely some times when if I had, you know, you know, personal reasons to take a longer period of time off or take days off to visit people, I would do that. Um, but otherwise, even if it was a Saturday or Sunday and I wasn't going to work all day, I would at least try to do a little bit just to kind of engage myself in the material um, and the, doing a few hours a day of at least thinking about the project you're working on, I found kind yeah. of to be very, very natural. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do, do you have any organizational hacks that you can kind of share with writers? I know you kind of, uh, run the gamut of, um, from word nerd to data nerd. Uh, but I'm surely you have some, um, maybe some tricks you can share with us to, to just, uh, cranking out pages. Sure. Um, uh, you know, that's a tough question. I think, you know, it's certainly from the outside point of view, um, in a lot of ways, what I may be doing may seem a bit disorganized. And <laughs> you know, even though I'm, you know, doing kind of data and analytical stuff, which seems to suggest a lot of structure, um, as I kind of said earlier, you know, I would definitely have things in my book that turned out to be sections I thought would be whole chapters or vice versa, where, you know, I thought it was going to be something big and it turned out to be something small. Um, and in that sense, it was more about, um, you know, not being, you know, not setting a structure of my work schedule or the book schedule and sticking to it if somehow the circumstances of where kind of the story or the data took me changed. Um, in terms of organizing my actual work, I do usually kind of um, spend, you know, up time up front, just reading as much I can about it from other points of view, kind of writing a list of questions, and then I can kind of organize a chapter outline of where I think things are going to go, and then kind of do the data questions, fill things in, um, and see how it goes. And I don't know if it goes, this talks strictly to your kind of organizational question, but I'm also kind of a big believer, and this is kind of because this is, you know, not a strictly narrative, there is kind of a very big visual component to it with the graphs and everything of not putting off, say, creating a graph and making it look nice and making it look final in your draft. Um, essentially, I always wanted to kind of 
simulate the final reader experience as I was writing it, um, because I think that does inform how you write the words around the pictures and that the words you have inform what the diagrams and graphs should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think most of my organization is more of a time thing where I know at the beginning of the week, these are the days I'm going to work. I'm not going to change that unless something really drastic comes up. Um, And these are the days and these are the times I'm going to relax and take some time to think or whatever. Um, And just kind of bounding myself on those uh, and then filling the time with as much productive work as possible. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah, the, the tables and the graphs um, are fantastic in the book and very helpful, I think, to the, to the information there. So I'm so sure that they were helpful to your kind of thinking and, and maybe some of the creative piece of it. So um, let's talk about creativity while we still have some time. How, how do you think uh, you personally define creativity? Um, one thing that, you know, obviously creativity has a lot of definitions that are all true, but I think one thing I focus on, um, and maybe it's just a different concept, but I kind of think the originality component of creativity is just very, very important to me where I want to create something that's never been done or never been seen before and is new, um, and kind of exploring a new territory. Um, and I think it's a bit challenging to maybe come up with these ideas, but then once you're in that creative space and you're doing something that no one's ever done before, then at a certain point it becomes, um, the flow becomes a bit easier because you're kind of, you know, you don't, you don't have to think about how to rewrite every single sentence because the topics you're covering about are different. Um, and because like you're taking a new point of view, you don't have to worry 
about, you know, repeating what people have written hundreds of times before because the information and the outlook you have on it is new. So I think, you know, obviously um, a big part of kind of my um, goals have always been, you know, to be, to actually write something, you actually have to sit down and write it and put in the time and just kind of actually produce. Uh, but on top of that, I've always kind of valued people who are original, even if they may not be in kind of traditional creative fields or traditional kind of artistic academic background. If you're making something in some medium, no matter what it is, if it's new, I just consider that kind of uh, very creative and kind of the, you know, combining of different ideas I'm always impressed with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this quote by John Steinbeck that you threw in the book. I mean, there are a lot of great quotes in there, a lot, a lot of uh, great stories as well about famous authors. Um, the, the Steinbeck quote um, being, you know how advice is, you only want it if it agrees with what you wanted anyway. <laughs> <laughs> which is rather tr- uh, rather actually um, apropos for this moment in history also. so um, <laughs> but coming back to the, all these great authors that that you have studied and um, kind of you've looked at their work and do you, do you have an estimation of what makes a writer great or what what makes writing great now more than say you did when you kind of started this project? Um, I definitely do. On some things, my mind changed. On some things, I think looking at the data kind of maybe confirmed or strengthened my views and maybe made me a bit more um, passionate about them. Um, I think kind of the common threads, and these aren't the most exciting in some ways because they have been uh, kind of repeated again and again, is that you know, kind of simple writing um, in terms of being direct and making it easy for the reader to understand, usually stand the test of time, whether it be not having extra words like LI adverbs or, you know, not having um, super long books. There's a portion of my book where I kind of look at whether or not, you know, just physically long books or short books, whether or not which ones of those are you know, better known for years to come. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of advice, you know, there's, I have a few kind of favorite authors, one of which is Vonnegut, and he writes a lot about kind of writing directly and simply and kind of writes, you know, about like not using semicolon or complex thoughts or long sentences. Um, and that's like very technical with the craft. And I think that advice is very um, good. And I think kind of like one thing I learned while both doing my own writing process and um, you know, reading other people's actual books and their advice on writing is that, you know, even if you have fans of your books, no one is thinking about your writing as much as you're thinking about your writing. <laughs> right. So if you have, uh, you know, a complex thought or you call back something that you wrote 80, page ago, 80 pages ago or anything like that, that's going to be completely lost in either, on even like the most um, honest reader. Um, so kind of just making it clear what you're trying to entertain with or inform with is the best strategy. Um, and that's kind of about the craft of writing. And then for what makes a book, um, you know, kind of stand the test of time and writing stand the test of time. I think, you know, if you're not, if you're worried about computer optimization of writing or anything like that, that's kind of where the hope is because really all writers who do stand the test of time have distinct styles in most areas um, and they, you know, have weird what you would either call ticks or just kind of 
weird tendencies or things like that that make them stick out in kind of a beautiful way. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's kind of, you know, if there's something that you want to add a style or a flavor to your writing that you think makes it better and set it apart, then you should do that and kind of do it well. But if there's something that you kind of like maybe prefer stylistically, but is going to add trouble to the reader and doesn't really fit in with the rest of your um, writing style, then, you know, there's no reason to kind of make, um, you know, every single word, uh, you know, a fine work of art when you should just kind of be delivering a good story in some parts. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that. And there's so many, so many great, great, uh, pieces of advice in the book. Um, but yeah, that literary fingerprint, uh, that famous writers have is pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. And, um, yeah, I found so, so many different facts in here, just, um, fascinating, but, um, I could go on and on and on. Obviously, uh, I can't keep you on this uh, podcast forever. But uh, yeah, from cliches um, to adverbs um, to turning kind of uh, some of the more popular writing advice on its head and putting it to the fire. Um, lots of great, great stuff in in uh, the book. Um, okay, I so I appreciate that. And I think, you know, I think kind of a lot of the most interesting stuff was the kind of advice uh, portion, just kind of tracking whether or not famous authors followed their own advice. But there's lots of other kind of, kind of maybe silly or interesting things that if you're a book nerd are just interesting. For example, uh, I track the size of an author's name on the book cover uh, after (laughs) they've had a New York times bestseller. And, you know, very predictably it kind of, goes up kind of very steeply and there's a few authors um nora roberts and uh, jd robb i believe were the two authors with the biggest names on their book covers and kind of um you know the whole the whole book may be them and on the back it's just a picture of them and jd robb actually is a pseudonym for nora roberts um <laughs> and this is you know to kind of track back a bit just for the sake of uh making it go full circle um this is something that, you know, if you ever walk into a bookstore, you probably notice this kind of consciously or subconsciously that there's just these books that you don't even know the title of them, but you can see from a, you know, a mile away who wrote it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was just kind of interesting to kind of go through. And I, for this one, I kind of knew what the result was going to be, but to actually kind of go through and measure it and, you know, kind of say for certain whether or not this was a true pattern in publishing or not. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right, a couple quick fun ones. Uh, do you prefer paper or eBooks? Um, I definitely prefer paper, but um, there's definitely times when I'm reading a lot and reading and traveling, uh, so I probably do end up reading more books on in digital format uh, just because of the ease of it and be able to, um, you know, not have to go to the library, go to the bookstore so often. For sure, for sure. Um, all right, if you could choose any author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, uh, who would you take and where would you take them? Uh, I think I would definitely go with Kurt Vonnegut, who I already mentioned is yeah. one of my favorite authors and definitely someone who comes up from time to time in my book. Um, you know, Cat's Cradle is probably my favorite novel, um, and I love both his writing style and the topics he covers in such an interesting way. Um, you know, I think I'd probably want to talk mostly about his work, but I also would be curious. He's obviously someone who wrote a lot of kind of, you know, science fiction. He grew up around, um, 
I, be, I believe his, you know, his dad was an engineer. He grew up around a lot of kind of science and data and kind of foresaw the future. So I, I'd be interesting to see what he thought about kind of the work I'm doing. And he did, he did write one short story about a computer who wrote poetry. Right. Um, I would just love to see and love to hear his take on, you know, both kind of the current state of, you know, data and art and just kind of the current state of uh, events in the world. Yeah, yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, all right. Do you collect any weird uh, writer's fetishes over there? Are you uh, agglomerating like rare pencils or, or old typewriters? Uh, I can't say I do, although the only thing I can think of that falls in this category is that before my first day of high school back in the day, um, I got, uh, you know, went to Staples or whatever and got a mechanical pencil that was like $7, which obviously is not very expensive, but I guess for, <laughs> for you know, for a 13-year-old or whatever to get, you know, one pencil that was so expensive kind of seemed me- meaningful in some way. And I actually used that pencil, and I'd, I'd always lost pencils before that, uh, but I used that same mechanical pencil for all of high school and all of college um, without losing it. And, you know, it was kind of my lucky charm in some ways. Um, I still have that pencil today, although and now I'm sort of afraid to take it out. Um, and I, I even wrote my college essay about, um, kind of how beautifully it writes and how, uh, I, you know, feel kind of naked writing without it. Um, so it's close by now, but I'm kind of afraid to take it out of fear of, you know, losing it and getting angry at myself at this point. <laughs> like your magical totem that, that uh has powered your powered your journey um do you can you share with your fellow scribes uh your best advice on just how to keep going how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving um it can definitely be tough especially if you're working on other things i think the key to it is just to find something that you're really passionate about and uh, I do think it's important to find something that not only you're passionate about, but um, you're kind of uniquely suited to write about and uniquely suited to inform or get other people entertained or excited about. Because um, I do think that writing is still um, pretty social and, you know, writing, um, you know, sometimes it can feel like you're writing into a void. And if you're writing something so esoteric, um, or already covered, then maybe you are. But if you can kind of find your niche of something that other people enjoy and find worth sharing and find worth reading, um, then it's just much more re- rewarding when you're working on the next thing to kind of, you know, visualize and uh, imagine what their reaction is going to be when they read it. Um, so I think kind of just the most important thing that's kept me going 
uh, is finding something that I most that I actually enjoy writing about and enjoy researching, and that I know some other people, whether it be readers, you know, across the country, across the world, or you know, my close friends are going to at least get a kick out of. Um, I think if you have those two things, then um, that should be enough to keep you going. And if you uh, and if it's if it's not, then maybe maybe it's not right for you. But I, I think I think everyone has something that they really know a lot about and can kind of articulate in a fun and interesting way. For sure, for sure. Great advice. Um, Nabokov's favorite word is mauve. What the numbers reveal about the classics, bestsellers, and our own writing. Um, a fantastic uh, kind of dip into data and literature. Um, and uh, congrats on the work. It's a lot of fun. Um, I will link to it in the show notes, of course. Um, a lot of great uh, blurbs out there as well. And you've written a lot a lot of shorter pieces on it, which I will link to. I was enjoying uh, something you wrote recently, the way uh, the one-way bestsellers have changed that you probably haven't noticed, which is a, uh, kind of a fascinating look at how uh, language is becoming simpler in our in our favorite books. Great. This was this was a lot of fun chatting and uh, discussing writing and specifically the book with you. I really enjoyed it. Right on, right on. And I will point at your website, uh, bblatt.com. Um, you are on Twitter, um, at Ben Blatt. And uh, anywhere else you want to uh, point uh, listeners to connect with you? That should be good. Uh, my Twitter is at Ben Blatt. I don't, you know, I won't jam up your feed with, you know, a ton of... Uh, <laughs> crazy political point of views or anything like that but i try to link to any time i write an article or a larger project or there's a review or anything like that so excellent excellent and oh you didn't answer uh my question earlier are you working on another book or are you just working on some uh shorter pieces uh hope for right now some shorter pieces uh not ready to you know announce any further books but hopefully um in the future more more along this kind of general pattern will be coming to you I love it. I love it. Data nerds and word nerds unite. And we look forward to that one. So come back and uh, chat with us again, Ben. Great. I had a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.